Next on PIJN News, Dr. Chaps reports on these important issues. King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia condemns ISIS rebels as hijacking his peaceful Islamic religion. Are there moderate Muslims? I found one. Dr. Zudi Jasser is a Muslim who's taking a stand for peace. Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps. God bless you in Jesus' name. My name is Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt, Dr. Chaps, and you're watching PIJN News. On today's show, we have a news-making interview with Dr. Zudi Jasser, who is a Muslim and he's a moderate and he opposes extremist violence. And he may not be the only one. This week in the news, King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia raised his voice during a speech promoting a moderate version of Islam and opposing the violent extremism of the ISIS rebels in Syria. He said, quote, religious extremism is a perversion which must be eradicated, extremism which has generated terrorism, behooves us to combine our efforts to fight it and defeat it because it has nothing to do with Islam. Well, of course, in Syria, there are repeated beheadings and crucifixions. All the horrors there are now being fought and countered by King Abdullah, who said, quote, extremism is a perverse factor which we can only remedy by eradicating. And we are engaging in and eradicating it unwaveringly. Young people must be protected from extreme ideas. Is this one of those extreme ideas? The Quran says in Quran chapter two, verse 191, kill them wherever you find them. Disbelief is worse than killing. If they desist, then God, Allah will forgive them. We're gonna have an interview with Dr. Zudi Jasser, who explains from a moderate perspective how to reinterpret this verse and others in the Quran. We'll be right back after this short break. Discerning the spirits that rule our politicians, Dr. Chaps will be right back. Let's take a stand with Israel today. Would you sign a petition with me? Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and sign a petition to defend Israel, who is America's closest ally, certainly in the Middle East, if not in the entire world. We remember watching Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu give that speech at the UN when he warned about the making of an Islamic nuclear bomb, and that is being forged in Iran. But what are we doing now? The USA is negotiating with the Europeans to allow Iran to continue to develop nuclear material. Well, that's not right. Do we really trust this man, Hassan Rouhani, the president of Iran, who is the former nuclear weapons chief? You don't think they're gonna build a nuclear bomb when his predecessor, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, literally threatened to wipe Israel off the map of history. Now, we need to take a stand. Why is American foreign policy to fund the Muslim Brotherhood? Let's sign a petition to stop that. Stop sending our taxpayer dollars to fund the Muslim Brotherhood. And let's also sign a petition to protect the Jewish homeland. Both of those are available today at our website, PrayInJesusName.org. And when you sign those petitions, we will fax them to Congress. Instead, the failed foreign policy of the Obama administration, starting with Hillary Clinton and now John Kerry, is pressuring Israel to give up Jerusalem? Why? We should never divide the eternal capital of Israel, which is Jerusalem, and we should move the American embassy there. 
But instead, now the Obama administration is unfreezing the Iranian bank accounts, sending $7 billion to them on the hope of empty promises that maybe they'll stop their nuclear program. Let's defend Israel. The Jewish people are our friends. They have a right to security in their homeland. Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and sign that petition right now. Defending your religious freedom. Here is Dr. Chaps. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. You're watching PIJN News. I'm joined by, now by my new friend, uh, patriotic American, Navy veteran, fellow Navy veteran, Dr. Zudi Jasser via Skype from Arizona. Welcome, Dr. Jasser. It's great to be with you, thanks for having me. So let me introduce you a little bit and then you can clarify. You are the president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy and you are a Muslim and you practice the Islamic faith and you follow the Quran and the teachings of Muhammad and you worship Allah. And when I was a chaplain in the Navy, I advocated for religious freedom for all of my sailors. For example, I advocated for my Muslim sailor's right to eat halal food at sea, for his right to pray to Allah on the ship's microphone. So I support religious freedom and the First Amendment. And I saw on your website, uh, your organization now advocates for the U.S. Constitution and freedom of religion, but also separation of mosque and state. Can you talk about that? Well, we formed our organization in uh, 2003, and ultimately uh, our feeling is that uh, terrorism, Al-Qaeda, uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, all of these uh, uh, violent militant organizations are but a symptom of a deeper issue. And that issue, that ideology, if you will, that, that ends up in creating these organizations is a much bigger problem, that terrorism is a tip of the iceberg. And there's a bigger global ideological problem, which is political Islam or Islamism. And ultimately, Islamism is no different than what Christianity was in the Dark Ages and pre-enlightenment when there was a mixture of uh, religion and state. And uh, if you look across the Islamic majority countries, most of those countries uh, have a mixture of mosque and state. So our mission is to separate mosque and state. We believe ultimately America's success in religious freedom and human rights and in Western uh, post-enlightenment, if you will, has allowed Christians to get closer to their own faith by getting the church out of government, by preventing canonic law from uh, uh, being a part of general law, but rather being personal choice. And uh, ultimately, uh, this is what we're trying to do within the, the House of Islam, is that the separation of mosque and state will ultimately defeat the Islamist movements like the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas, and others, and bring about a modernization, if you will, of interpretation of Islam. I do want to correct one thing. I know that many people, when they look at Islam, they say, well, you know, we pray to Allah. Allah is the Arabic word for God, so since we're doing the interview in uh, English, uh, we pray to the God of Abraham, uh, which we believe is the same God as uh, Christianity and Judaism, and we consider those faiths to be the people of the book of uh, praying to the same God. Fair enough. Can you describe any differences between your organization, American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and CARE, the Council for American-Islamic Relations? Well, I think it's important that people understand that uh, most of the organizations in America that claim to speak for Muslims 
uh, came out of the 60s and 70s, which were uh, organizations that uh, were part of the, the Saudi petrodollar infusion of trying to influence Western uh, uh, governmental policies, uh, universities, and others, and were part of the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups, if you will, as the Muslim Brotherhood and, and an Islamist group uh, evangelically wanted to spread their version of Islam to the West. So they did so through the creation of the Muslim Student Association, through uh, um, creation of the Islamic Society of North America, and ultimately the Council on American-Islamic Relations was part of these Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups that are part of these Islamic, I mean if you look in Egypt for example, America got a quick uh, uh, lesson in what the Muslim Brotherhood was when they won the election after the Egyptian Revolution in 2011, and they won it in 2012, and uh, were in power for one year, and uh, the people realized that they wanted to reject theocracy and uh, had Revolution 2.0 that brought them down. So ultimately, I think the lesson there is while the Islamists have a very potent populist movement, it's not potent enough to be a majority. It's a significant plurality. And in the West, most of these organizations that try to speak for our behalf are really part of these Islamic groups, Islamic political parties, or Islamist movements. And CARE is one of those. It came out of the Islamic Association of Palestine in the early 90s, which was really an offshoot of Hamas and its Palestinian origins, and is a Muslim Brotherhood-type group that evolved into CARE in order to broaden its constituency into sort of the victimization mantra that somehow the West is anti-Islam, anti-Muslim. So they soak up the bandwidth of attention to Muslim issues by claiming to be all about civil rights when in fact they want to stop any debate about Islamism, debate about the need for Muslim reform against Islamic governments and parties. And if you look, they're really what I would consider to summarize what CARE is, they're part of the OIC or Organization of Islamic Cooperation Lobby, which is sort of the mafia of Islamic governments like Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Iran, and otherwise. Our organization is very different. We're based in an ideological movement to reform against those ideas that create those theocracies, those dictatorships, and against the Muslim Brotherhood type ideas. Is your movement growing? Is there a moderate voice in Islam? And do you have support, or do you support, for example, uh, some of the moderate voices in the Middle East that are standing up against ISIS and the Islamic State? You've been talking about Syria for years. How does your vision match, uh, for example, what King Abdullah said this week, that he wants to rescue Islam from those violent jihadists? Well, that's a great question. You know, it's, it depends on the perspective. If you compare our budget to that of CARE, which has 35 chapters and millions of dollars and, and came out of uh, uh, millions of petrodollars in the 90s and, and, and early on, uh, our budget pales in comparison and we're still struggling to get that traction because we won't take any foreign money, because we won't uh, uh, compromise our uh, American focus and uh, ideological movement. Uh, but having said that, in perspective, I think we've had a lot of success. Our coalition has broadened. We have an American Islamic Leadership Coalition that includes over 20 Muslim organizations of reformists uh, like the American Islamic Congress, Lib for All, which came out of uh, uh, the previous Indonesian president that wrote a book called The Illusion of the Islamic State and now has millions of members. Uh, and also others included are like Taufiq Hamid, um, and uh, Tariq Fatah with the Muslim Canadian Congress. So we have a number of people coming together to build on this coalition. Resource-wise, we're still challenged because the, the you know, 
our, our foreign policy, whether it be the State Department or universities or others, really don't see that they want to play a role in this. Meanwhile, the Qatars and, and Saudi Arabias of the world are investing in an information operation to try to spread their Islamist ideas. Certainly, the king, when it comes to groups like ISIS, uh, Saudi Arabia will do everything it can to try to prevent their growth, but they are very compromised, those governments, because their ideas, Wahhabism, that is spread within Saudi Arabia and globally is basically the same as ISIS, but they don't just put videos on the internet showing their beheadings, but the king of Saudi Arabia has overseen over 20 beheadings in his own government in the past 60 days. So, you know, it's interesting. He just doesn't advertise it, and it's sort of like the pit bull they keep that is now coming back <coughs> to bite them in the uh, you-know-what, uh, and they want us to help them get rid of it. Now, I think we should decimate ISIS, and we should destroy them because of its threat to our homeland and its pull for jihadists all over the world. But while the Saudis may be our allies against ISIS, they certainly aren't our allies in sharing human rights concerns and reform within Islam. And, and they really are, you know, in many ways, sort of like the alcoholic that you want to work with in order to stop drunk driving. You know, they're the alcoholics that are spreading the, you know, uh, addiction, if you will. And many of us Muslims don't want that disease. And we're trying to go down that 12-step program of reform that's necessary and we realize that countries like Saudi Arabia, like Iran and, and uh, Egypt's Muslim Brotherhood and others are the central cancer cells, if you will, of the ideas that we need to reform against that create groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and others. Well, this is brilliant. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, Dr. Jasser, I'm going to ask you uh, about some of the conflicts you've had in your own neighborhood there in Arizona. You were in the news a few weeks ago, and then we'll ask you maybe a couple of theological questions about what the Quran teaches and if there's a different way to interpret some of those verses. We'll be right back with Dr. Zudi Jasser after this break. Making your voice heard in our nation's capital, Dr. Chaps will be right back. As a Christian minister, I believe the Bible, and I believe in spiritual gifts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the gift of discerning of spirits is available to you. The ability to see angels or demons or the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've written two amazing books that I want you to have today. And you can visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org to get either one of these resources. The first is my PhD dissertation on this particular topic. It's called How to See the Holy Spirit and Angels and Demons. Ignatius of Loyola on the gift of discerning of spirits in church ethics. If you want an exciting theology book that's challenging and intellectual, that goes into the classic theology of Ignatius of Loyola, how he was influenced by men like John Cashin and Thomas Akempis, how he influenced later theologians like Karl Rahner and Timothy Gallagher, then you will love this resource. Maybe for your pastor, or if you're a counselor, or a serious Bible student, this is a theology book and you're gonna love it. Or maybe you want something more fun. I've also written a different book which is more of a popular book. Uh, it's called The Demons of Barack Obama, and it applies my theology of discerning of spirits to the 44th president of the United States. I used an article written by my friend David Barton on 50 events in his presidency, and I tried to discover, is he being influenced by the Holy Spirit, or by angels, or by maybe some other spirits? What is behind the president? So if you want a popular book that's fun to read, it's available for $20, or if you want 
an academic book that could be used for serious Bible students. It's available for $35, or maybe you want both of these. They're both available for $50. A donation of any amount will go towards sending these books to you. Visit PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org and get both of these resources for your family. Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps. I'm joined again by my new friend, Dr. Zudi Jasser from Arizona via Skype. Welcome back, doctor. It's nice to be with you again. Thanks for having me. You're a medical doctor, a Navy veteran, American patriot. You love the Constitution. Uh, talk a bit about your compassionate ministry to the sick as a doctor. Well, you know, I think this is something I talk about in my book because as Americans try to understand Muslims and what we believe in, I think ultimately, you know, if Islam taught terrorism, I think the world would have perished a long time ago. And the reason I turned out the way I did and I devoted my life, my first passion is um, medicine, is uh, I really want to treat other people the way I'd want to be treated. And there was no profession I saw that allowed me to do that than healing and trying to take care of the sick and those that are less fortunate. And internal medicine and primary care allows that establishment of that relationship with patients that's long-term to help them through health and through sickness and be that uh, um, steward, if you will, of their health uh, through difficult times. And I've, there's nothing I enjoy in my life more than my practice of medicine, which is really what I do for my, my day job, if you will. That's wonderful. And now you have a night job, which is to be a growing political voice. You've been on Fox News many times, on Glenn Beck's program. You're the president of American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Uh, and yet, that's sort of made you a target by some radical voices in the Islamic movement who have criticized you. What happened in your own mosque a few weeks or months ago? Well, you know, most of our work uh, started locally in 2004. We had a rally against terrorism, and I talk about this in my book, and that it then spread nationally as people saw a movement of Muslims countering the ideologies. And since that time, now we even have a global platform in Europe and elsewhere with our organization. We've tried to avoid anything local because, you know, this is the mosque of my family and others, and five of our families actually helped build this mosque back in 2000. Uh, but what's interesting is as we've been more successful, uh, the organizations like CARE, the Islamic Society of North America and others have been trying to, wherever possible, trying to weaken our work. And they came into our backyard recently and all of a sudden one of these newer imams uh, decided to devote our largest sermon of the year, our, our largest gathering at the end of Ramadan, our holy month of fasting, to spending half of his sermon attacking me. And he, he never used my name, but yet everybody knew he was talking about. He was talking about Muslims who are uh, amongst us, but yet not one of us who speak against the quotes he said were who speak against uh, Islam and hate our faith, not as much as we love our faith. And it was very, very, you know, if you look at the laws of Sharia, in many ways he was trying to say I was, I was an apostate and uh, uh, trying to marginalize me from the community in a way that could be actually very dangerous. So I wrote an article about it. My family decided to confront this frontally and talk about what he did and how un-Islamic it was and how a, a true Islamic character would encourage debate and critical exchange and that ultimately our work was about national reform and that uh, um, you know my family was quite upset with the insinuations he made and we had those who were again more upset. They denied his sermon, but we had it all taped and, and transcribed and ultimately uh, most of the people that know us uh, were quite apologetic 
and uh, since then actually it's been a position of growth for our community and I think it just goes to show that uh, uh, all good things uh, uh, need quite a bit of dedication and work and uh, I will tell you that we just had our other large holiday a few days ago and we had a very warm reception at the mosque and uh, I think that episode is behind us but anyone who says where's the voice of moderate Muslims for reform I can tell you that that episode tells you that there's a reason more of us don't speak up. We get marginalized and attacked, and they don't deal with the message and debating the modernization of ideas. They attack the messenger and try to marginalize us with fiction and lies. And uh, I think ultimately it's, it builds character, but yet it's, it's quite a challenge. Now, I understand you're a medical doctor. Uh, you may or may not be a theologian, but you wrote this book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, an American Muslim's patriot, uh, your patriot fight to save your faith. What are you saving your faith from, and are there some verses in the Quran which uh, you would either disagree with or need to be reinterpreted? Yeah, that's a great question, and you know, I think my book lays out first a personal narrative, then sort of how we got to 9-11 and all the terror attacks since then in these groups and then looks at solutions and I think that's really what the narrative globally has been missing is we know how to identify problems and diagnoses but not solutions and if there's anything I learned in medical school is not only making diagnoses but learning how to treat patients and trying to get them to be better and more healthy and I think similarly the condition of our faith community has a sickness, has a cancer within it, and I'd like to see that treated. And ultimately, that cancer is the mixture of state and religion and government and religion or Islamism, and the treatment is the separation of mosque and state. And ultimately, the, the main power of the Islamists, the head of the Brotherhood Party or the head of the Saudi government or the Iranian regime, the Khomeinists and the Islamists, their instrument is Sharia or Islamic law and their interpretation of certain verses. So as, as a Muslim, I believe the Arabic script of the Quran is God's word and ultimately we can't change God's word. But all of what's spread around the internet and, you know, and, and put forth by Al-Qaeda and Imams like Qardawi and, and other leading Sunni clerics and Shiite clerics are interpretations of what they believe those passages meant. So at the end of my book, one of the last chapters is modern interpretations of these passages. And I think I would ask your viewers to talk to Muslims about how they interpret these things. And many of these passages that, you know, I think we can we can't remove them and and but ultimately what we can do as muslims is say that you know what this passage applies to 620 AD a battle for example in between uh, uh, muslims and the pagan tribe that they were battling in which god wanted things to be peacefully initially but then when peace failed he permitted war against that pagan tribe so just because god permits war against a tribe that violated a treaty whether it be pagan or whether it be a Jewish tribe like Ben Qurayza or others, that does not mean that that then profiles all Muslim-Jewish interactions or all Muslim-non-Muslim interactions forever because that's the way the Wahhabis and the radicals or the fundamentalists want to interpret those passages. And what we say and, and what I talk about in my book is that how can the same God, if we believe God wrote the Quran, how can God on one passage say that kill them where you find them and he's referring to all non-believers and on the other passage you know he says 
uh, um, you may marry Jews and Christians, and you know there's no coercion in religion, etc. So if you have, if you believe the Quran has one author, you have to contextualize passages based on the context of in which they were revealed. Another passage says, "Do not take Jews and Christians as, as you know." It says friends in most interpretations, but the Arabic word is awliya. The Wahhabi interpretation says friends, but it doesn't mean friends. Awliyat means your legal sponsors as witnesses or as, you know, in Christianity, for example, you talk about godparents for your kids and other things. That would never be a non-Christian who would do that. So that passage that's being manipulated by radicals actually refers to people who would be able to embody and act on behalf of your law in your behalf. So. God allows me as a Muslim to marry a Christian or a Jewish wife, but yet she would not act on my behalf under Sharia. So this is an interesting thing in that the same author of the Quran, God, can have these various passages mean different things and, and all make sense with a common narrative. And I think this is what we need to do as Muslims is have a postmodern or a, a more enlightened interpretation of these passages and not allow the militants to hijack certain things in order to say that takfir, which is to say that a Muslim is not a Muslim or apostating various Muslims as they do to me all the time because I'm trying to modernize certain interpretations. These interpretations, by the way, you know, doctor, are not my own. I, I've read many scholars, many clerics that are very modern in their interpretations, and I've adopted those into mine, and I think that's really the method towards modernization of a lot of these a lot of these passages. Well, that makes perfect sense to me, and I would like to call you friend, and I appreciate your uh, insight and your interpretation of even the most difficult verses of the Quran. As a Christian, we have a uh, difficult time sometimes interpreting the Old Testament and, and the wars that the Jewish people waged against uh, you know, their enemies in that time frame. And of course, that doesn't mean that Christians declare war. I don't want to uh, crusade and you don't want a jihad so I think we have a lot in common and I want to say thank you and God bless you your your website again aifdemocracy.org aif as in forum democracy.org and my book is a battle for the soul of Islam you can find that on Amazon and go to his website our guest has been Dr. Zudi Jasser thank you sir for your time anytime thank you we'll be right back after this short break this is PIJN News can I take a moment to ask you to donate today? There are such important battles that we're fighting and winning around the country to defend religious liberty. How much is the right to pray in Jesus' name worth to you? Well, to me, it was worth a 16-year career and a million-dollar pension, which I sacrificed to defend Jesus Christ. I'm asking you to call us today, toll-free at 866-Obey-God, and make a donation. How much would you pay to defend religious liberty? Would you give $10 or $20 or $100? I bet there's some people who are watching who can even give $1,000 today just to help us stay on the air, to broadcast this into people's homes, to organize these petition drives, and especially, we spend thousands of dollars organizing rallies around the country and petitioning legislators. Please call us today at 866-Obey-God and give the best pledge that you can give to defend religious liberty and take a stand for Jesus Christ. We can't do it without you. Please donate today. Our thanks to you for watching and donating. Please help us 
Please donate at PrayInJesusName.org. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Dr. Chaps needs your financial support to stay on the air. Would you please send your best donation today? Please visit PrayInJesusName.org to donate online. Or you can mail a check to Pray In Jesus Name Ministries, Post Office Box 77077, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80970. You can also call us toll free right now at 866-Obey-God. That's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Please sign up for our free emails at PrayInJesusName.org. Again, that's PrayInJesusName.org.